Hello from vacation. Yay! <laughs> We're still working on vacation. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right though. Kat and I are celebrating my birthday Yay. over my birthday weekend. Because my birthday is a weekend. It's a whole weekend. It's a whole weekend. <laughs> it's a whole thing. No, it's uh, my birthday happened to fall on Labor Day this year, so... I rented an Airbnb up near Sedona, and we are in a house that I rented. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. Trying to get used to the uh, the weird sounds oh, and God, yeah. being in a different environment, but yeah. it's finally able to take a little time for myself, so thank you for coming. <laughs> I think we're still tired. I think so. I also just... Like, I know we're, <clears throat> this is episode 41. This is episode 42. This is definitely episode 42. <laughs> <laughs> we're still getting used to being back, and this episode will be fun because we recorded Elizabeth part one, like, before everything happened in like three June. months ago. Yeah. May or June. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. But. Speaking of we, you are listening to Difficult <clears throat> Danzels. What kind of a podcast is this, Kat? Podcast about difficult, badass women from history. Hell yeah. <laughs> and we are on episode 42, Elizabeth the First, part dos. Part due. Part dun. I don't know German. We don't have any cats here, but Thor's here. We have Thor to protect us. Yes. <laughs> I don't and... know if he'd protect us, he'd bark and then run. But his bark is ferocious, so. His bark is terrifying. He, <laughs> he has a really ferocious bark and a really ferocious growl, but he's the biggest coward in the world, so. He's a big enough dog, though, that if you don't know that, then. <clears throat> oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> scares a lot of people. He's a I'm little. Like, so sorry, but I'm also not. Fluffy bunny. <laughs> he is. He really does look like a bunny with his haircut. <laughs> yeah. He does. <laughs> well, yes, I shall open my present. Yay! I haven't even seen it, to be honest. <laughs> I just opened it. Is it, it a tarot sure. deck? Because it's I'm in... not telling you shit. Just open it. <laughs> I didn't get you a card. I'm not a card person. That's from. Thank you company. for supporting the Star Seeker Tarot. Yes! <laughs> they inspire you to dream, guide you into truth, and awaken your magic. Woohoo! Oh my god, I'm so excited. Oh my god. You made it easier this year because you sent me what you wanted, like. <laughs> Right Hell before. yeah! And I was like, yes. You know, before I open this, um, I was reading something about Virgos, and it was in response to the idea that Virgos are difficult to please. And the meme was basically, "No, they're not. They'll literally tell you what you want <laughs> yeah. or what they want. Like you just have to listen." I, I joke with my mom all the time because <laughs> every year. Christmas. She asked me what I want. I was like, do you check out the texts that I send you throughout right? the year? Like, I'm not sending them because it's fun. Yeah, you're like, I literally send you what I, I want. I'm telling you exactly what I want. Oh my gosh. Oh man. I don't so, know yeah. if I can open this. So, I honestly, nervous. like, this year has gone by so fast that, like, when you sent me that, I was like, oh shit, I still haven't gotten her anything for her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> I had, like, a couple things that I had in mind, but I'm glad you sent me this. Now you got you exactly what it? you wanted. 
I can't. It's really pretty. I can't do like plastic things because I have acrylic nails now. You might as well bite the plastic. Oh god. <laughs> ASMR. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna eat plastic. It's fun. This will be super exciting to listen to, I'm sure. <laughs> Making it ASMR. <laughs> I really like that box. Oh my gosh, the box is so cool. So it is the Star Seeker Tarot. <clears throat> Did I send you that that TikTok where it was like, this is for any millennials who need to hear it. You could throw away the boxes. And I think it was Isla Slushinger or whatever. She's like, but what if we, what if the market crashes again and we need the boxes? Yeah, we need the boxes to like live in. <laughs> okay, Ooh, this is a cool book. Yeah, it's cute. Okay. Oh my gosh. Look yes, at that. Yes, they're beautiful. Oh, Ooh, they're pretty. So the backside um, has two crescent moons and a star, and it's like a branches. A, a lilac purple and it's branches. Oh my gosh. They're so beautiful. Looks like Jesus. <laughs> it's the magician. <laughs> The, the magician, magician looks like Jesus, okay? The high priestess. Oh, yeah. They're really beautiful, like, drawings. Oh, yeah. Are they, like, glossy? Or do, you... Ooh. do you mind if I touch them? Sorry, I touched it. Damn it. <laughs> now it's fucked. The now Empress. you've got all my chaos in there. I know. Like, keep your Aries chaos off of my cards. <laughs> my Aries chaos just wanted to touch the Jesus. <laughs> Slash the magician. <laughs> oh, look at the lover's card. That's cute. It's beautiful. It came with a sticker. <gasps> that was the that, chariot. And I totally stole totally sticker, so you didn't get a sticker. Sorry. Look at the strength card. I'll have to post Ooh, some of these pictures. You should. Because people are going to be like, we can't see this. Yeah, you guys, come on. <laughs> the hermit. Oh, the wheel came sooner Ooh. in this deck. <gasps> Look at the justice card. It's beautiful. <laughs> she's hold. I love it because she's not just holding the scale. She's also holding she's sword. the sword. Because she's that's, yeah, justice isn't just about balance. It's about restoring balance. Oh yeah. Ooh, the card's getting darker. Here's where I'm at. <laughs> Death. Ooh, I love that one. Temperance. The angel is so pretty. Ooh, the devil card actually looks scary. Ooh, the devil in like tarot it. represents um, your personal <laughs> demons. So anything you struggle with that you need to conquer, if the devil card comes up, it usually means you're not doing what you need to do to face your demons. My demons in, in your friends. Oh my gosh, look at the star card. This is beautiful. Ooh, so pretty. And <gasps> I love that one. Moon. I think that's my favorite. <laughs> oh, that and pretty. the sun. It looks like I the love Grand these Canyon. together. Yeah. yeah. See, this is a tarot <gasps> deck that I would not use as a tarot deck. I would totally like frame the, my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah. These yeah, are nice now thick I cards buy them. too. <laughs> the world. Oh, this is interesting. I've never seen the womb before. Ooh, That's new. Interesting. Must be for this specific deck. I like it. And then we've got all of the pentacles. Yes. I don't want to like go through the whole deck because I'm sure that's not great for listening. But Or editing. <laughs> or editing. But let's go ahead and do... Ooh. Thank you. Mouse a little bit flying. <laughs> shuffle. Shuffle on here. Shuffle. ASMR. I feel like they're a little too thick to shuffle like that, so you'll probably have to do the. I know, but I'm not very the other good shuffle. At that. <laughs> Just throw them. No. Throw them together. No, keep your chaos away. I'm a Virgo. Oh man, it's been a rough couple of months. So yeah, I if I'm requesting anything, it's just some things to keep in mind to get through the harder times. Speaking of which. 
Kat got some, um, she got a couple of new tattoos. And what does the oh one? Oh my God, I did. What does the one tattoo say? So one says, don't let the hard days win. It's from uh, Court of Mist and Fury, one of my favorite books of all time. And it's got pretty flowers. You want to come out? And then I got a triple moon on my wrist. So yeah. Probably my last, I say this now. It's probably my last tattoos for... For a while, yeah. yeah. Kat told me not to let her get any new <laughs> tattoos, so. Oh, oh and these all want to come out. Okay. Oh, God. Interesting. <laughs> when we were playing, or when you were playing Wardruna earlier, yeah, I totally was like, damn it, I really wish I brought my room deck. The room deck would be, like, great to do out in the backyard. <laughs> well, I was just going to pull one, yeah, and I ended up. Five. I mean, I didn't shuffle very well because it's all cups, but maybe that's what I need. That's probably what you need. <laughs> all right. So let's see. Just some things to keep in mind when the hard times are coming. So we've got the Four of Pentacles. Pentacles is usually related to worldly things. It can be money. I say you just passed it. <laughs> a person meditates in a space beyond time and earth. Through expertly focusing her energy, she maintains her position while holding the surrounding pentacles in place. While this is an admirable pursuit with some definite benefits, it leaves little time for anything else. Uh -huh. Without precious focus, the pentacles will fall out of alignment, and she fears this would disrupt her state of peace. Her unwavering commitment to maintaining stability keeps her locked into her practice, and it also keeps her from experiencing much else. The Four of Pentacles commends your discipline, but asks you to not take it too far. All right. <laughs> you are encouraged to loosen your grip on anything you are holding too tightly. It may be your finances, your daily routine, or your diet. It could be your spiritual practice or your job. Sometimes you need to be flexible with your rules in order to truly enjoy what you have. What is the point of acumi <laughs> accumulating wealth and stability if you can't bring yourself to enjoy any of it? It's time to find a healthy balance between discipline and flow. Oh, that's very apt. Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> okay, so that's, keep doing this. That's focused on the girl who just worked on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. She worked while catnapped. <laughs> Oh, man. Seven of Cups. So I got the seven, seven through ten of Cups. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. A woman of royalty has been separated from her carriage, lost in a dark wood. She wanders in search of the path. The deeper she goes, the more confused she becomes. Though she knows she's not meant to trust or take anything from the dark wood, the trees whisper promises of help. It's a temptation she's finding harder to resist, but just ahead is the light. She hasn't looked high enough to see it, but it's there to guide her out of the wood and back to safety. It can be easy to lose your way when surrounded by darkness. It can be easy to lose your way when you are being offered an easy choice, a quick choice, or a fantastical choice. But there is always a guiding light in the darkness, no matter how small or difficult it is to see. There's always a choice that will bring you into alignment and move you toward love and harmony may not be the easiest to find, to recognize, or to choose. Sometimes it is further away and requires a longer journey. Focus on finding the light and you will find your way out, even in the darkest places. Make choices based on reality and truth. Be honest with yourself about what it is or what is just fantasy or temptation. Nice. I really like that one, the second one from the left, or right? The Nine of Cups. Yeah, it's pretty so our eight of cups, I'm not going to read all of these because we'll be here all day. <laughs> okay. 
The Eight of Cups encourages you to release any emotional baggage you are carrying, particularly if you've been carrying the weight of someone else's problems Oof. <laughs> or holding on to the pain of the past. It's time to move on and do what is best for yourself at this moment. This card indicates a time of transition and release, asking you to let go of the heaviness in your life and embark on a journey of self-discovery or spiritual awakening. Consider spending more time on your own and giving a rest to any situations or relationships that hold you down. Follow your intuition and engage in things that bring you emotional fulfillment and meaning. That's a, that's a very apt card for you. <sighs> it's all very apt. <laughs> I hear you cards. I hear you. <laughs> the Nine of Cups invites you to celebrate and enjoy the blessings in your life. There's so much to be grateful for, to celebrate and to enjoy. This is a card of wishes fulfilled. Relish in the wishes that have come true already and open yourself up in the hope to the ones that are surely manifesting in this very moment. Above all else, enjoy yourself by engaging in all things that bring you true happiness. Like the podcast. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> but be present in the moments when there is nothing to do but soak in your gifts and celebrate the blessing that is your life. Hell yeah. And then finally, the Ten of Cups. I love you're like, I'm not going to read all this. <laughs> Well, I didn't read all of each Oh, page. I gotcha. <laughs> the Ten of Cups urges you to reach for your biggest dreams. Everyone's picture of perfection is different, and you are encouraged to hold true to your own unique vision. If you're not yet sure what that looks like, now is the time to consider it. When your vision does come to life, cherish every moment of it. This card can also indicate a time when you are blessed with good fortune and harmony within your life and relationships. You are in alignment with the universe, and it supports you. So basically don't be so stuck on my routines. Let me enjoy things. And just remember there's always light at the end of the dark tunnel. Yeah. And be self-aware. And be self-aware. I'm already that. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. These cards are beautiful and I can't they wait to, to use them more. <laughs> I've been, um, I kind of want a deck of my own. <laughs> I haven't been using my tarot cards as much lately and i've been thinking i had been wanting to do it so now it's kind of the perfect opportunity because this is a heck new yeah. deck to play with heck yeah and it's beautiful yes it is it's my colors it is i know i love those colors yeah. they're so pretty we will definitely take pictures and i'll yes. find those cards again and we'll put that on the episode hell yeah does that sound good oh did yeah. you hit record i did it's fine <laughs> um Okay, so starting off with Elizabeth Part 2. Do you even remember where we left off? It's been so long. No. Mary Elizabeth's just become queen. Has she? Yeah, wow. Mary died. Oh, yes. Rip Mary. <laughs> yeah, RIP. <laughs> so upon ascending the throne as Queen of England, Elizabeth was inheriting a country that was broke from having supported Philip II's wars in France when and the Netherlands. England, not England, France, and Spain, not broke. When are they not broke? I mean, honestly. Well, that will change. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was suffering a huge blow to morale after losing the city of Calais. Remember, <laughs> we're still was, on that. We're still on it that. It was etched on Mary's yep. heart. <laughs> which was England's last territory on continental Europe. And it was suffering from decades of religious upheaval that saw the prosecution of Catholics and Protestants, both depending on which monarch had been in power. And now it was up to the petite shoulders of the 25 year old bastard daughter of Henry VIII to shoulder the weight of a nation and keep it from falling apart from the inside. No pressure. No, not at all. You're fine. You got this. <laughs> High five. <laughs> At the time of Elizabeth's ascension, female leadership was still a relatively new concept in England. 
Her sister Mary had been the first queen regnant to reign in England, and even she immediately moved to find herself a husband to share the power with. Many people were skeptical that a woman could successfully rule a kingdom on her own. Even Elizabeth's counselors would voice their doubts to her face, including William Cecil, (laughs) which we'll get to. And then we have John Knox, who published a book that basically suggested female leadership was terrible and awful right around the same time Elizabeth had ascended to the throne. Are you talking about Little Dick John? Little Dick John. (laughs) In his book titled First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women... Sir, you are way too vocal in your <laughs> hatred for women. Maybe self-reflect and um, find out why you hate women so much. Who hurt you? <laughs> Freud didn't exist at this time, um, so. <laughs> so every woman knew exactly what this was, but all the men were still confused. Because no man could tell them. So he wrote the following. I am assured that God hath revealed to some in this our age that it is more than a monster in nature that a woman should reign and bear empire over men. Well, honey, it's okay. Your ego will get better. (laughs) It won't. I know. (laughs) Knox was not specifically targeting Elizabeth, focusing instead on Mary of Guise over in Scotland and writing with Mary Tudor in mind as well, because both had been Catholic and he was Protestant. But when the work was published, his opinions had entered the public mainstream just as Elizabeth received her crown. One of Elizabeth's first acts was to declare three days of mourning for Queen Mary's death, and then it was immediately straight to business. Elizabeth invited all the prevailing minds and powerful nobles of England to her residence at Hatfield and immediately set about forming her new council and government. Ten of Mary's Catholic privy counselors were retained, but those with fanatical Catholic beliefs were dismissed and replaced with Protestants. Yes! Sorry, that's pretty great. That's a great idea. (laughs) Elizabeth's chief advisor was William Cecil, and his appointment as Secretary of State was one of the first named by Elizabeth. So a little bit on William Cecil. Cecil rose from the dregs of the common class during Edward VI's reign. Cecil was the secretary to Edward Seymour, who had been Edward VI's first Lord Protector. Mm -hmm. Remember that from becoming Elizabeth? Mm Mm-hmm. His work would see him rise the ranks and land himself on Edward's Privy Council, completely of his own merit. But after Edward died and Mary ascended to the throne, Cecil's power stagnated as Mary had no place for suspected heretics on her council. (laughs) Cecil was a pragmatist like Elizabeth had been, careful not to champion his Protestant views and draw attention to himself during Mary's reign. So he's kind of just like, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to be in this corner right here. I'm going to lay low for a while. And and what he ends up doing is... You mean I'm not going to poke the bear? Like, no, no. <laughs> that exactly. is religious turmoil and strife <laughs> in England and France and Spain? Yeah, he was one of the few that was like, yeah, I've seen where this goes. Yeah, I've seen the beheadings and the burnings. And I have that smell ingrained in my nostrils. I think we all do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so he ends up entering Elizabeth's life right around this time and acts as her advisor for her finances. So even before she becomes queen, Cecil's already in her life. Okay. Cecil had already established himself as someone Elizabeth could trust and rely on for counsel. In William Cecil, Elizabeth found a kindred spirit. He was as cautious as she was, intelligent and incredibly diligent. His slow climb in the English government had been meticulous and methodical. 
But even he had his doubts that a woman could rule on her own. One of his chief goals will be to find Elizabeth a husband. Spoiler alert. She makes this very difficult for him. Does she drag her feet? <laughs> she drags her feet. He's like, put those fucking slippers away. Put them away. I don't want to see them. He like burns them and she just pulls out another pair. She's like, I got like 800 more of these, honey. You had to be careful with Elizabeth because she had a fiery temper too. And if you like told her to put her slippers back on, she might just throw them in your face. Like, That'd be great. I read that and I was just like, cool. You're just walking in like he's ducking from shoes and she's like, fuck That's you. how I imagine their relationship, honestly. That's the perfect relationship. <laughs> Elizabeth respected him so much that she referred to him as my spirit. And he will honor that respect by protecting her throne with every fiber of his being, even when she was less than gracious towards him. <laughs> Cecil is going to be here for a long time, so remember the name. All right. Another important member of her new council was... Yes. <laughs> I um, saw it uh, bolded right there, so <laughs> I cheated. So yes, this is Robert Dudley, and she names him as Master of Horse. That sounds weird. <laughs> I know what it is, but it just sounds weird. It does. So Robert Dudley was a surprising addition to Elizabeth's Privy Council. He had been the son of the traitor John Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland, this was the man that had schemed to have his daughter-in-law, the Lady Jane Grey, put on the throne in Mary's place. Mm -hmm. And then he got his head nicked off by Mary. Whoops. Yeah. So <laughs> Dudley's the son of a traitor like twice because I think the, their, his grandfather also, there was treason involved. <laughs> <He's> like, look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. During Mary's reign, she had John Dudley executed along with one of Robert Dudley's older brothers. Robert himself barely escaped the executioner's axe and was imprisoned in the Tower of London. Um, and then romantic historians like to think that Elizabeth and Robert reconnected and bonded when they were both imprisoned in the Tower. Like, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> but they were imprisoned at separate times. Well, so, shit. sorry to there goes that knock that one off. Fantasy <laughs> that I have created in my head. <laughs> Robert Dudley had been a childhood friend of Elizabeth's. He was likely tutored alongside Elizabeth and Edward VI both and raised by Protestant teachings. It is also suspected that Robert Dudley was the love of Elizabeth's life, even though she never marries him. Um, we'll get into that in great detail in this episode. Yes. But he is recorded as saying, I have known her better than any man alive since she was eight. Oof. Yeah. It's giving some secrets away now. <laughs> <laughs> When Elizabeth was named queen, Robert Dudley rode to Hatfield on a white horse and then dropped down on bended Stop. knee to pledge his undying and loyal service to She's her. She's like, did you fucking plan this? Because this is a bit ostentatious. <laughs> oh, she loved it. Right. She, she loved like, these. She's flipping her hair. She's like, mm, yes, please. <laughs> Ride it She's on like, your white yes, horse. worship me. <laughs> by naming him as her master of horse, it meant that Elizabeth could keep him by her side at almost all times. What does master of horse mean? His position meant that he oh. would always <laughs> oh, man. he would always travel with the royal stable, and he rode directly behind her during processions made around the country. Like directly behind her, mm -hmm. or like directly behind, like her. directly. <laughs> Basically, he's responsible for keeping um, the royal horse household up to date, healthy. Yeah. And organizing and <laughs> he's basically organizing transportation because at the time it would have been a monstrous task <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so he's like logistics basically yes yeah all right, all right. 
After putting her council together, Elizabeth made her triumphant procession to London at the head of a procession of 1,000 people. Robert That's Dudley people. rode directly behind her. <laughs> She's like, who the fuck are all these people? <laughs> Elizabeth was greeted in London by throngs of cheering people. Londoners absolutely loved their new, young, and beautiful queen. Yes. Elizabeth had the red hair of her father, Henry VIII, and the dark brown and captivating eyes of her mother, Anne Boleyn. But above all, she was an engaging queen that took the time to greet her subjects, How smile, and jest with them as she rode through the crowd. Right? They're like, wait, you see me? <laughs> Elizabeth was a master of optics and understood that to be seen by her people was to ensure their continued love of her. Yeah, the people are where you want to win the hearts and minds. <laughs> So just to give you an idea of how much of a rarity this was for the time, the Duke of Feria, who had been the Spanish ambassador sent as a representative of King Philip II, observed in absolute horror that Elizabeth greeted her subjects personally rather than with the detached majesty so many monarchs before her were known to employ. Can you just imagine this fucker like... Yes. <laughs> like freaking out. Like, what is she doing? Like, oh my God, she is to touching to them. Subjects? Like... What the fuck, dude? Elizabeth deigned to shake the hands, smile, and joke with her subjects as though she were a mindless commoner. Wow. But, but the people of London loved her for yeah, it. Yeah, I don't think she's mindless at all. I think she's smarter than all she of you. She knows exactly what she's yeah. doing. Yeah. She's actually smarter than all of you. That's why you're so scared of her. <laughs> Elizabeth would continue this tradition of riding through the streets of London to be seen among her subjects throughout the entirety of her reign. She'd do this almost daily. Nice. The street parties and celebrations continued into the next day when Elizabeth had her coronation, and predictably, it was a splendid and expensive affair. God, it sounds exhausting. <laughs> so Elizabeth wore a robe made of cloth of gold and silver, trimmed with ermine fur and gold lace. 39 ladies of the court followed in red robes with golden sleeves. Robert Dudley led the procession of the Pri Privy Council. And theatrical scenes and pageantries were stationed along the route of the procession, many of which recalled the horrific scenes of Mary's reign to juxtapose it with the coming of Protestantism's new champion, Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> she's like, look, let's forget about what happened. I know it was bad. It's well, she's terrible. basically saying, well, everyone is saying, like, this is a new era. Yeah. We're and our chosen princess is here. Yeah. <laughs> One of the pageantries featured Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII on stage together, with Anne Boleyn presented favorably to the public for the first time in 25 years. Yep. It would be the first time her mother's good name was restored, at least temporarily. <laughs> Elizabeth herself would never once reference her, mo her mother on public record, but she was observed to have enjoyed the scene when she passed it. When Elizabeth reached Westminster Abbey, she was officially crowned on January 15, 1559, as the second queen regnant in English history. Many suggest that the crown she wore had also been her mother's crown. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I like that little nod to her mother. From the very start of her reign, there were two very important issues that Elizabeth needed to address. The first had been the religion question. It was well known that Elizabeth was raised by Protestant intellectuals, but she had been clever enough to keep most of her religious beliefs to herself during Mary's reign. Elizabeth had kept her cards so close to her chest that many people were unsure of how she intended to tackle the religion question in England. 
Elizabeth may have been Protestant, but she was a pragmatist and careful never to openly proclaim her own beliefs. Yeah, because she watched throughout history as both sides did it. It didn't end well for anyone. Exactly. <laughs> Weird how someone learns from history. <laughs> Unfortunately. Damn it. <laughs> Many of the more radical Protestants exiled under Mary's reign hoped to return to Elizabeth's England and influence to reinstate the more radical protestant laws that had been created during edward the sixth reign she's like look you can come back but, but you need to behave shut the fuck up <laughs> elizabeth chose a more middle ground approach write it in a journal <laughs> protestantism was the religion of the land once more but elizabeth was satisfied if people appeared to outwardly conform only consequently many of the english catholic bishops were not happy with elizabeth's ascension or her initial policies. You're never going to have everyone happy, unfortunately. Several even refused to attend her coronation or crown her, claiming that she was a heretical queen. She's like, I don't want you here anyway. You'd ruin She's the like, party. like, I have my own priests. Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks. Elizabeth herself was said to have enjoyed the pageantry and ritual practice of Catholic Mass, although she was more partial to the humanistic beliefs employed by Protestant teachings. She's kind of similar to you. Yeah. 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 I love the whole ritual and the beauty of catholic ceremonies I yeah just from what i understand <laughs> i think she loved the the candles i think she liked the incense too yep. so these were some of the things she kept oh cool yeah weird how you can like make it your own but... yeah <laughs> spirituality <laughs> literally is a personal just, thing it doesn't what? matter what you believe in just as long as you believe in something <laughs> For her part, she was determined not to antagonize the fanatics of either Catholic or Protestant factions. She had experienced the turmoil and bloodshed under both fanatical Protestant and Catholic reigns and was determined that her England would be different. In her own words, there is only one Jesus Christ. The rest is a dispute over trifles. Ooh, fuck yeah, girl. <laughs> That's 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. Now, if everyone else could just figure that out and put their <laughs> egos in a box. <laughs> I see many overbold with God Almighty, making too many subtle scannings of his blessed will, as lawyers do with human testaments. If I were not certain that mine were the true way to God's will, God forbid that I should live to, to prescribe it to you. Ooh, yes. I'm just, like, falling in love with her even more. I, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know I liked her, but, like, when we get into the weeds of it, I Well, like now her. you know why I love her. Yeah. I mean, things change, she's but... She's practical. Yeah. Like, well, she starts out practical. So, like, come on. <laughs> so her whole thing was how people choose to pray in the comfort of their own homes was of no concern to her. Later in life, she'll even interfere in investigations made against her lord, um, Sir Walter Rayleigh, who was suspected of being an atheist. Um, Elizabeth claimed that she genuinely enjoyed theological debates with Rayleigh. Are you not allowed to be an atheist in this time either? Absolutely not. Bitch! You're basically doing, a I, Satanist like, if you are. I, I'm helping you out. I'm not either one. I don't fucking care. Like, what? Again, religious you fanaticism. Win. You either believe the way I believe or you're the devil. Or you die. Yeah. Jeez. And this is why we say fanaticism is terrible. Fanaticism is bad. Fanaticism <laughs> is evil. Uh, this is an official proclamation from Difficult Damsels. Yeah. Yeah. This is our official stance. On that. If you guys are alarmed <laughs> or suddenly concerned right now, you have not been paying attention. <laughs> like we've said that many times. Yeah. <laughs> Fanaticism is bad. This is just our official proclamation. Although Elizabeth enjoyed reading the Bible and engaging in debates over religion as a harmless pastime, she notoriously abhorred sermons. 
<laughs> she claimed that preaching from a pulpit was used for the sole purpose of men airing their opinions. Yeah, it 100% is. <laughs> this is one of my favorite things about her. So if a sermon went on for too long in her presence, she would often chide the preacher out loud and basically tap her non-existent watch and say, wrap it up. This is taking too long. Oh my gosh. I am in love. <laughs> we had it. <laughs> We had, I, I've only ever enjoyed one Catholic priest when I was growing up in my church. He just happened to be Irish, but he was hilarious because he made it like fun. so personable and fun. Yeah. And he was like, look, I'm going to read this. I fucking hate it. It's boring. And then I'm going to explain it in a, like a normal way, but he was hilarious and, and he cussed yeah. and I was like, yes. So he sounded very down there. Yeah. Relatable. yeah. He, he made it human. <laughs> In time, Elizabeth would end up alienating the more fanatical Protestants, a.k.a. the Puritans, who wanted her to come down harder on Catholic, on Catholic practitioners. Later in her reign, she'll kill a Puritan bill that had been aimed at outlawing all sports and entertainment on Sundays, and she refuses to sanction any law that sought to name any supposed acts of heresy, adultery, or blasphemy as criminal offenses. These were better left to a person's conscience rather than the law. Yeah. Y'all need to take a back seat. You aren't in fact God. Like you are not God. <laughs> what a concept. God is God. You are you. Elizabeth. I'll make you flashcards. It's confusing. <laughs> Elizabeth does retain a couple of Catholic traditions, such as keeping crucifixes and candles in her private chapels. But she rejects some of the more elaborate Catholic traditions of venerating saints and the Virgin Mary, along with the belief that miracles are conducted by people. No bloody tears of the Virgin Mary here. <laughs> so oddly enough, Elizabeth observes her own weird blend of like Catholic and Protestant practices. She does try to seek a middle ground between both religions and tread the middle line between the two, but the men around her on both sides would make that nearly impossible. She's like, look, you get on board or I'm throwing you off this boat. <laughs> we will get into that a little later in this series, but just to give you an idea of what religious prosecution looks like in Elizabeth's England versus Mary's England. Mary, die. <laughs> Mary ordered the burnings of over 300 Protestants in three years' time. Only four men will be burned during the entirety of Elizabeth's 45-year-long reign. Another thing that occurs, when Henry VIII broke away from Rome to establish the Church of England, he named himself as the head of the church. Knowing that she would never get away with naming herself as the head of the church on account of being a woman, Elizabeth instead names herself as the governor of the Church of England. Better. In 1558, <laughs> Elizabeth passes the Act of Uniformity, which officially recognizes the Book of Common Prayer, as the primary book for religious instruction. This is her attempt to settle the religious turmoil that had occurred in England for the past 30 years. Part of the act also required all English subjects over 16 to attend church on Sundays or be fined for non-attendance. Consequently enough, the fines would mostly be paid by Catholics who refused to attend the Protestant services. With the religious question somewhat settled, Elizabeth's council turned to what might have been arguably the most pressing issue. What could that possibly be? Marriage. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> Who was Elizabeth going to marry? I literally just thought of the, the second dumbest thing and marriage happened to be in my mind. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so right now, the prevailing theory in Europe was that a woman could not rule a kingdom. 
the nobility of England were greatly concerned that Elizabeth's ability to rule would be stinted by the fact that she was of the lesser sex. So the question of Elizabeth's marriage was of utmost importance right from the start. And you see Elizabeth just in the background like, bitch, look, watch me roll, watch me roll, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> Wait till you see how she responds. <laughs> Parliament petitioned her almost immediately to get herself a husband, so as to relieve herself of all the labors that are only suited to men. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Also, they really wanted her to secure the line of succession. Like, really, really, really wanted her to do this. She's like, I can do that without a husband. <laughs> and as we know all too well by now, the only way to do that was to have a bebe. Is that it? Preferably a boy bebe. Bebe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remind us of something the silly men we are about to discuss seem to forget. <laughs> Elizabeth told us from the age of eight years old that she had no intention of marrying ever. Yeah, she's like, did you see how that worked out for my parents? <laughs> or she any will... of Henry's ninth third wives? <laughs> she will tell this to her privy council time and time again, but they often wrote it off as just something a flippant and silly woman would say to be difficult. Oh my God. As... I want to punch them in the face. As one of the most eligible bachelorettes in all of Europe, Elizabeth had several suitors. So now it's time to play a game of Bachelorette, English monarchy style. She's like, watch me drag my feet in my foot dragging slippers. Hey, William. <laughs> Bachelor number one was King Philip II of Spain. Okay. Yes, Elizabeth's dead sister's widowed husband. Elizabeth's like, you're joking, right? That is not the strongest lead you should lead off with. <laughs> Philip II very much did not want to marry a suspected heretic, but deigned to sully himself and submit himself to Elizabeth's notorious obstinance if it meant that he could preserve the sanctity of Christendom. Stop it. <laughs> Just go home. Also, Spain was broke, and Philip needed English money to continue to fund his war with France. Oh, God. There were a couple of obstacles in the way of this prestigious match. One, their marriage would require papal dispensation because Philip was the widow of Elizabeth's sister. In a fun reversal of the Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon situation. Oh my gosh. I love how they're like, here, let's get married. We know you don't want to get married, but we want you to get married. So we're going to pick the worst person for you. Oh, he's your dead sister's um, dude. I but never said they no, picked him it's for fine. her. And then also, I never we're going to make they, it I never, the hardest. I never said they picked him marriage. for her. Who picked him? <laughs> He's just one of the guys. Oh, he just showed up? Yeah. He's like, hey. And she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's So there's going to be, like, warring factions within her council. And, like, some will, like, propose a foreign match. Some will propose a domestic match. It just depends on where your um, allegiances and sensibilities lie. You're sitting in the room. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Um, another issue is the fact that England did not want Philip. England had endured a marriage to Spain under Mary's reign and decided it was just not a fan on account of all the burnings <laughs> that they partially blamed on Philip. Oh my, I mean, yeah, he brought, I mean, she was a fanatic, but when you bring two fanatics into the mix, yeah. it gets terrifying. She, I mean, Mary I. was- I.e. 200 dead people. Well, you remember Mary, she was so fanatical that even Philip was like, um, can you calm Maybe down? you should take a seat. <laughs> but everyone still blamed Philip because women don't have agency. So. It's the one time where it actually works in our favor. <laughs> <laughs> the third obstacle was that Elizabeth herself was proving to be non-cooperative. 
When Parliament initially petitioned her to get herself a husband, Elizabeth presented her coronation ring and likened it to that of a wedding ring. She was already married, you see. I'm married to England. She was the bride of England, and it and its people were her children. Ah, that's just weird. <laughs> Elizabeth, I love. I just imagine her like on the throne with her like fancy ass ring, and she's just like dramatically putting her slippers on. <laughs> Kicking like, it out oh, so that's what we're doing today. Okay, let me get my marriage <laughs> dragon slippers. William Cecil's just like <sighs> that is William Cecil the entire time of her reign, just His in the eyes background. And he's just like <laughs> Elizabeth did promise that God would deliver England an heir, even if she remained single herself, but she was always evasive enough to never say who. <laughs> the Count of Feria, this is the Spanish ambassador had the displeasure of being the ambassador to Philip II and having to propose marriage to Elizabeth on Philip's behalf. He's like, I know this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm quite aware. <laughs> Elizabeth famously ran him around, giving him the same excuses she would give to many that followed him. In the end, this shall be for me sufficient, that a marble stone shall declare that a queen, having reigned as such a queen, lived and died a virgin. And thus, the self-proclaimed image of the Virgin Queen was born. Deferia was completely and utterly perplexed, um, as was the rest. Say that one more time, but like (laughs) of Elizabeth's council. Like what? (laughs) I know the old English. Like I've had to practice some of these quotes. Yeah, because like like, you try to read it, and your brain's like, "This doesn't make sense." You're like, "Too many words." We're aware, but like, keep going. (laughs) I just imagine Elizabeth too, like. She, like, I would love for her to have been, like, I'm going to send you all on a quest. If you win, <laughs> my hand is yours. They're, like, the stupidest, most impossible yeah. quest ever. And the guys are, like. They get lost, and at the end of it is a dragon. <laughs> yeah, and they're, like, I'm scared. <laughs> Marriage candidate number two was likely Elizabeth's personal choice. Who was it? Robert Dudley! Yes! yes! Robert Dudley, the Earl of Leicester. He's not Leicester yet, but he's one fucking earring in the show that drives <laughs> yes. me crazy. I'm like, Do they have Oh earrings? my god, he is so attractive in the show. <laughs> he, is he is like we're talking about becoming Elizabeth. <laughs> <sighs> what were we talking about again? What? How beautiful Robert Dudley is. Yeah, yeah. Keep on track. Keep on track. Sorry. Right? <laughs> Bring it back, bring it back, Rachel. There was just one problem with candidate number two. He was already married. He was already married. That's kind of not, he's just not a candidate. Like, that makes him not a candidate. He is uncandidate. Even though he was already married, Elizabeth showed Robert Dudley a great amount of attention and favor right from the start. And her favor for Dudley scandalized the entire court, including William Cecil, who viewed Dudley's rise in favor and power as a threat to his own influence over Elizabeth. Elizabeth's like, calm the fuck down. I thought I liked you. (laughs) Favoring a traitor's son, who also happened to be married, proved to be the least of everyone's concerns. Uh, Weird. It was the fact that Elizabeth flaunted her affection so openly for him that seemed to piss everyone off. Oh my gosh. Even Deferia was scandalized, writing to King Philip of the gossip around the English court, and the fact that Dudley was said to visit Elizabeth in her chambers both day and night. Gasp! Many have speculated over the exact nature of Elizabeth and Dudley's relationship, including whether there was a sexual component to it. But also, she's the queen, and y'all put up with this from Henry VIII right? for fucking years, so fuck off. <laughs> it, there, there's a lot of hypocrisy oh. here, for sure. <laughs> what we do know is that Elizabeth very much enjoyed someone she could converse with and trade barbs with. Weird. 
Some historians have a male friend. So weird. Some historians like to paint a link with Thomas Seymour, suggesting that Elizabeth's love for the bad boys developed because of that very ill-fated relationship when she was groomed that by was Seymour. That was not a, a relationship, ladies and gentlemen. That was a grooming and not okay. In Robert Dudley, she had another roguish character who was notoriously handsome, adventurous, and bold. Like Elizabeth, he was equally charming and had an uncanny knack for capturing the attention and admiration of those around him. Elizabeth's attentions might very well have been born of a place of wanting to tame someone she viewed uniquely as an equal, and it plays on the trope of wanting what you can't have. Don't we all? In many ways, I know Thor. <laughs> that was the happy <laughs> sigh. He's like, I too want her to have Robert Dudley. He's like, I know how this story ends. <laughs> In many ways, her affections were also safe with Dudley. The fact that he could not offer her a marriage almost gave him an advantage over her other suitors. Yeah. Elizabeth was able to enjoy his companionship without having to worry that he would try to trap and subjugate her with marriage. She did not have the fear of a loss of independence or power with him. And in the meantime, she could flirt the night away with Robert and dance and in general, just enjoy the attentions he gave her. It's always fun. It's always fun to get attention <laughs> from men or women. <laughs> yes. A couple more suitors emerged during Elizabeth's early reign. In addition to Robert Dudley was another young, strapping English nobleman with his own connection to the English line of succession, be his grandmother, Margaret Tudor, oh. by the name of Lord Henry Stuart, oh. a.k.a. Lord Dudley. Mary's Dudley. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember you mentioning this. Yes. Oh, girl, you dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> Trust me and the history. <laughs> Long before Darnley annoyed the Scottish court enough to plot his assassination, <laughs> we will talk about that again. Oh, God. <laughs> he annoyed the English court with his blatant grasp of power. They're like, please marry me. <laughs> he ends up getting passed along to Mary, Queen of Scots, a couple of years later. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> I always forget that Mary is the same time frame. Yeah. As Elizabeth. Yeah. I am in the story now. <laughs> <laughs> Just as Mary would contemplate marrying an English nobleman later in her reign to challenge Elizabeth's position on the English throne, <gasps> that being Mary, Queen of Scots, yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth did the same thing as a marriage to Hamilton. Um, this is James Hamilton and Mary's, I want to say, like, cousin. He was the Earl of Don't make it weird. Aaron. Don't make it Targaryen. <laughs> um <laughs> It would have put her directly in line for the Scottish throne. So that's another of her suitors, um, James Hamilton, the Earl of Arran. I don't know if I said that, but yeah. You might have. <laughs> and then another one had been Prince Eric of Sweden. Prince Eric. With a K. <laughs> it is with a K. <laughs> you said Sweden, so it has to be with a K. <laughs> he may have been more aligned with her when it came to his religious beliefs, but Elizabeth vowed that she would never leave her country to join him in his. I bet you he was handsome as hell. If he wished to marry her, he would have to come to her in England. Yeah. Despite pledging his undying love to her in letters, Eric was unable to abandon his own country, and so the marriage alliance did not happen. I'm sorry. Have you met her? Like, you don't love her. You just love the idea of her. <laughs> That's every man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love your crown. <laughs> Elizabeth was also courted by King Philip II's uncle, the Holy Roman Emperor, Ferdinand I, who had two young sons eligible for marriage. She's like, you know I'm Protestant, right? <laughs> That is the issue. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I just really want to remind you just real quick so that I don't have to put my slippers on. 
A union with the Holy Roman Emperor's son would have preserved a Habsburg alliance, but the son that Ferdinand put forth was rumored to be disfigured. What? When Elizabeth requested Ferdinand to send his son to her in person to propose marriage, Ferdinand refused, and oh. so the match was also doomed. Reversal? <laughs> yeah, she's very clever. Oh, man. Elizabeth was said to have loved the attention that being one of Europe's most eligible bachelorettes brought to her, That'd but in the so end... Right? Oh, yeah. So she loved fun. it. She's like, flattery. Keep going. Keep it coming. Oh, my gosh. She loved flattery. Oh. Elizabeth played every single person that came to court her like a fiddle. <laughs> if it was politically strategic for her to tease a marriage, she would tease it just long enough to frustrate her would-be suitor until he left empty-handed. Oh, my gosh. With a heavy sigh and a bruised ego. <laughs> <laughs> As silly as it may sound, there were very real disadvantages and consequences that Elizabeth had to weigh when deciding on a consort. Yeah. A foreign marriage might have provided advantages on the world stage when it came to protecting England from the encroachment and influence of other more powerful countries like Spain and France. But the English were notoriously xenophobic. They had revolted when Philip was named as Mary Tudor's husband the first time and would likely do it again and have every reason to do so given what happened the last time. They're like, please don't do this again. We do not need a part two. And then, of course, marrying one of her own subjects also proved to have its own unique form of danger. Elizabeth was concerned that if she married one of her own lords, it would promote rivalries within the court. So, for example, remember when Elizabeth Woodsville married Edward the fourth yeah and how basically she promoted her own family and yeah all the nobility revolted against her yeah so that's what elizabeth was worried about oh gosh she's like look i can't win so i choose not to play basically (laughs) so the very real fear was that anyone elizabeth chose among her own subjects would do the same in addition to robert dudley william cecil and the dukes of arundel and norfolk were also proposed as possible consorts Elizabeth was damned if she did and damned if she didn't at this point. Yeah. That's your uh, tagline as a woman in this time. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing we kind of need to think about is with all the difficult damsels we've talked about, we've done several Queens of England. Marriage doesn't guarantee safety. No. You could have it. Usually. Yeah. Dislodges it. (laughs) Yeah. So Elizabeth has this, unique challenge of basically trying to stay unmarried but there were plenty of challenges when you did marry mary tudor married philip ii of spain and people hated her for it um when elizabeth woodsville married elizabeth or elizabeth edward the fourth elizabeth (laughs) she um she dealt with the frustrations of the nobility going against her you had isabella of france who ended up usurping the throne from her husband Mary because Stewart married favors. Dudley, and look how yeah. that Dudley, yeah, exactly. And look how that worked out. So Elizabeth is like, oh my god, he dodged that bullet. Everyone so is everyone is so terrified of her not marrying, but that doesn't guarantee you won't have problems even when you do. Yeah, she's trying to pick the uh, the less disadvantageous route. That's the right use of that word. Probably. It is now. <laughs> I appreciate your support. <laughs> Now, when Elizabeth first came to power, England was engaged in a conflict with multiple countries. Directly to the north was Scotland, with Mary, Queen of Scots' mother in charge, Mary of Guise. English and Scottish forces were constantly at war along the border. Mary Stuart's marriage to the French Dauphin also meant that French troops... (laughs) Dauphin? Sorry, I I can't ignore that word ever. 
Such a fun word. <laughs> it meant that French troops were stationed in Scotland and constantly served as a threat of invasion to England. To combat the French presence in Scotland and undermine the Catholic-Scottish-French alliance, Elizabeth sent English troops to aid the Protestant rebels that were trying to convert the country to Protestantism and gain control of the Scottish government. The campaign initially failed, but did result in the Treaty of Edinburgh in 1560. One of the stipulations of the treaty was that Scotland had to remove French troops from Scottish soil. Not long after... Scotland's like, thanks for that help. Get out. (laughs) Basically. (laughs) And then not long after, the Scottish Reformation occurred in earnest, and the Catholic presence in Scotland fell from power as Protestant lords took over the government. And that was partly thanks to Elizabeth's intervention. The timing was convenient. One year later, Mary, Queen of Scots, would return to a Protestant Scotland viewed skeptically by her subjects as a foreign queen practicing the wrong religion. (laughs) And then there was France and Spain. For the last couple of hundreds of years, England had been at war with either France or Spain. It was just kind of a thing, just like wanting to subjugate the people of Ireland and Scotland. (laughs) For the present moment, France was more of an enemy than Spain, but thanks to a six-decade-long conflict between France and Spain, France was a little preoccupied. So this this was that war between Henry II of France and Charles V of Spain over the Italian provinces. We discussed that in great detail in Catherine de' Medici Part 1, if you're interested. (laughs) Everyone in that story sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's no hero in this, any of these stories. <laughs> France liked to do a lot of peacocking. When they secured the betrothal of Mary, Queen of Scots, for their heir to the French throne, France had the young queen as its ace up the sleeve against England. Mary's father-in-law, Henry II, encouraged Mary to stake her claim for the English throne so that any children she bore with his son could also have a claim and hopefully bring England under the fold of France. At one point, Mary added the English National Coat of Arms to her own coat of arms to publicly acknowledge her own claim to the English throne. Elizabeth is like, excuse me? (laughs) Yeah, as you can imagine, Elizabeth was annoyed as fuck by this action. (laughs) Seeing as her piece of shit father never sought to legitimize her or her sister Mary Tudor, the stamp of illegitimacy would plague Elizabeth her entire life. It was a point of contention for her. I just, it just gives my heart great joy that Henry VIII lost. Yes. Like, this, <laughs> the universe was like, nah, you're an asshole. Your daughters are going to reign. Yeah. <laughs> and your one daughter is going to be super successful. And your one daughter is, like, going to be the most famous monarch in English history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's that. Congratulations. Hope you're rolling in your grave. <laughs> the Catholic faction of England used it, being Mary, Queen of Scots, to undermine Elizabeth's position by saying Mary Stuart had the legitimate claim to the English throne. And for the most part, Mary Stuart herself is also kind of just peacocking. Yeah. She's got the arms, but she's, she's not doing, she's not taking any active steps to actually take England for herself. Yeah. She's like, look, I drew this in grand. It counts. (laughs) In April of 1559, the treaty of God, I did not practice this. (laughs) Oh, that's That's a weird treaty name. It's French. (laughs) No. Catu Cambres. God bless you. <laughs> Cambreses? Cambres? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Was Look, signed. Guys, we're not French. Yeah, I'm not French. <laughs> we didn't promise proper Which pronunciation Which you would know if you words. listened to the Catherine de Medici Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You guys should be fully aware of this. 
The treaty was signed to end the conflict between England and France and France and Spain. By this point, Spain and France were both broke and could not afford to continue the conflict. The treaty mostly involved Spain giving back all the French territory it had taken and France agreeing to back off the Italian provinces it claimed, much to Catherine de Medici's chagrin. Yeah. She's not happy about it because she was Italian. And she hated Spain. The only thing England had to give up was the city of Calais, which Elizabeth negotiated could be held by France for the next eight years. Why eight? So th- she she believed she could get it back, but spoiler alert. She doesn't. England will never reclaim Calais. It's, <laughs> it's on gone. on Mary's heart. Where's my... <laughs> I don't know. It is on Mary's heart. <laughs> if you dig her up... Well, okay, let's not exhume her body. And exhume her body, you will find Calais on my heart. <laughs> She famously said this. Yes. We're not just being weird, guys. <laughs> also included in this multi-country peace treaty was the Treaty of Edinburgh, which again resulted in the withdrawal of French troops from Scotland. Mary Stuart and her husband Francis were to refrain from including the English coat of arms on their heraldry. Mary famously was unhappy with the treaty, and later when she returned to Scotland, she refused to ratify it on her end. The treaty was secured with a marriage alliance. Philip II was not able to secure the hand of Queen Elizabeth, so he turned to a different Elizabeth. The 13-year-old daughter uh, of Henry II and Catherine is... de' Medici of France. Oh, Remember? Oh, yeah. That Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Doesn't end well for her. To celebrate the end of the war and the marriage between France and Spain, Henry II held a lavish banquet and tournament in France. But in a tragic turn of events, Henry II ended up taking a lance to the face during one of the tourneys and ended up dying a couple of days later. Your wife was like, maybe don't go to this tournament because you might die of a head injury. He's like, I am fine. (laughs) Yeah, so Catherine de' Medici famously had allegedly prophetic dreams and um, between her and her astronomers, they kept telling Henry II that he would die in this year because of a major head injury. And he did not listen. I'm fine. (laughs) So if you've seen house of the dragon episode one, where they have the tourney and you were like, this tourney was way too violent. Um, No, people died during these tourneys. Just ask Henry II. (laughs) Aren't those tournaments literally put on to like basically appease the aggression of the males? During non-wartime days. No, it's more just, it's like their gladiator event. It's like their Olympics. It's, it's a form of entertainment. Um, most of the time they use blunted swords, but every now and then a lance would go through the face because somebody would f- forget to put a visor down. Somebody would <laughs> forget the words of their wife! <laughs> Henry II's young, sickly, 15-year-old son and a 16-year-old Mary Stuart ascended as the king and queen of France. Of concern for England was the knowledge that the real power behind the teenage couple in France would be Mary's two uncles from the House of Guise. Francois and Charles of Guise were fanatically Catholic, and over the next couple of years, the persecution of Protestants would increase tenfold and eventually go on to spark a decades-long conflict known as the French Wars of Religion. We cover them in great detail in Catherine de' Medici, episodes part two, three, and four, if you're curious. (laughs) Oh, man, spoiler alert. 
violent and a lot of people die. Yeah, like thousands of people yeah. die. <laughs> now, the dance of marriage negotiations continued in Elizabeth's court. I like that. The dance of marriage <laughs> negotiations. Elizabeth found herself in the unique position of an independent female sovereign that got to juggle the affections and attentions. Foreign courts paid for her hand, and she delighted in it. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Just imagine for a second the utter absurdity of this for the time. Kings and queens were used to having to sell their daughters like cattle to secure a marriage for their children. And here was Elizabeth in a complete role reversal. Much to the frustration of the entire English court, much to the frustration of the entire English court, Robert Dudley's mere presence was often detrimental to any marriage alliance that managed to gain traction. He just like comes up behind the person who's proposing marriage and he's like, <laughs> love you. <laughs> By this point, don't forget me. <laughs> Elizabeth was spending almost all her free time exclusively with Dudley. The two of them would disappear for hours on end going on horseback rides and hunts, which only served to fan the flames of scandalous gossip, yes, (laughs) that began to spread around Europe as envoys of would-be marriage prospects left England empty-handed. Frustrated by the influence... With dagger glares. Yes. Frustrated by the influence Dudley held over Elizabeth, her secretary of state, William Cecil, wrote to the Spanish ambassador of his concerns over the relationship, claiming Elizabeth was about to ruin herself over the affections of a married man, and that he himself had fallen out of favor with the queen. So are you writing because you fell out of favor, or are you writing because you're actually concerned? I'm just curious. Honestly, because he fell out of favor. Yeah. <laughs> In one of his letters, Cecil claimed that Elizabeth and Dudley spoke frequently over Dudley's wife's ailing health, suggesting that the two were merely waiting for her to die so that they could get married themselves. They kind of are. <laughs> and then in September of 1560, a day after Elizabeth's birthday, Robert Dudley's wife, Amy Robsart, mysteriously died. No! <laughs> They're like, did she talk to Catherine de' Medici? <laughs> By this point, it was well known that Amy was suffering from an ailment largely believed to be breast cancer. Oh, no. She reportedly also suffered from depression, though whether or not this was because she knew she was dying or because she was aware of the scandalous rumors that spread of her husband and the queen is anyone's best guess. Her opinion, unfortunately, was never recorded by history. What we do know is that on September 8th, 1560, she dismissed her servants and encouraged them rather forcefully to attend the fair in town. Rather forcefully. Yeah, no, she was like, she was like, you need to leave. I want some space. When her servants returned from the fair, they found her dead on the landing in front of some stone stairs. Oh, wow. And she appeared to have broken her neck. Oh, shit. Yeah. No, this isn't good. Every manner of salacious rumor and tale soon spread of her death. Robert Dudley's biggest detractors had already accused him of trying to poison his wife in the weeks leading up to her death as she was perpetually ill. Um, He always denied the claims. Yeah. And again, they didn't really understand what breast cancer was. So they were just like, why is she always sick? This is weird. Interesting. I wonder if the combination of being always being sick and the depression, maybe she did it herself. That is one of the theories. Like, because she was so insistent on everyone leaving. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. 
Now people were suggesting foul play in the accident that claimed her life, believing Dudley had hired someone to push Amy down the stairs. When Robert and Elizabeth found out about her death, they were both together and appeared to be genuinely shocked. Witnesses observed the queen was horrified and speechless. Robert Dudley himself ordered an official inquiry into her death, stating that he wanted it to be as thorough and detailed an investigation as it could be. In the end, it was determined that Amy Robsert's death was a tragic accident. Um, and again, one of Amy's closest maids suggested it could have been suicide. Oh. Yeah, if you're constantly sick. Well, and on top of that, like your husband is clearly in love with somebody yeah. else. Yeah. But I mean, that's just par for the course. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, in this day and age. True. <laughs> After making Amy Robsart's death public, Elizabeth anticipated the backlash Robert Dudley would experience and sought to put as much distance between herself and the scandal by sending him away from court. The official inquiry ruled Amy's death to be an accident. It was apparently thorough enough to satisfy Elizabeth and most of Robert Dudley's detractors, but the cloud of suspicion would follow him forever after that, with people speculating over a conspiracy that involved attempted annulments and assassinations for many years to come. Amy's death was the very thing needed to free Robert Dudley for Elizabeth, but it ended up also being the very thing that served to ensure that it could never happen. Dudley's reputation was forever blackened now, and to marry him would irreparably ruin Elizabeth's reputation and possibly even provoke a revolt among her own subjects. Yeah, it's like marrying Philip at this point. After the scandal dies down, he does return to favor and rejoin her at court, but the great love of Elizabeth and Robert Dudley would never end in marriage. Interestingly enough, William Cecil was returned to favor with Elizabeth following the death of Amy Robsart. Dudley may have been the great love of her life, but Cecil was her stable rock, and if anyone could help her shoulder the storm of this scandal, it was Cecil. So, Allison... Like, oh, now you, now you remember me? <laughs> Allison Weir um, observes in her book, The Life of Elizabeth, which is my main source for this series, that if anyone had anything to truly gain from Amy's death, it would have been William Cecil. Understanding that his position had been usurped by Dudley and fearing Elizabeth would damage her own reputation by marrying him, Weir comments that it would not be too out of character for Cecil to take such underhanded and drastic measures if it meant saving Elizabeth and England from herself. Elizabeth still ends up keeping Dudley around once the fervor died down. Over the next couple of years, people will continue to whisper and speculate that Elizabeth would still name him for her future consort. She doesn't, but she teases the idea often herself, only to shoot it down as quickly as she brought it up. Not even Robert Dudley was immune to the irritating game of will she or won't she that she'll become notorious for across Europe. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then one of Elizabeth's quotes is the following. I cannot do without my Lord Robert, for he is like my little dog. And whenever he comes into a room, everyone at once assumes that I am near. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Robert's just like, you just called me a dog? Yes. Cecil's like, yeah, because you are one. Do you follow her around like a puppy? Exactly. (laughs) She knows. (laughs) Elizabeth would continue to fend off Parliament's attempts to pressure her into a marriage and to name an heir for years to come. She's like, have you guys not figured it out yet? Are you not there yet? Did you not? They're not there yet. (laughs) I'll give you the crayons that Mary used. (laughs) 
While Mary Stuart is making obnoxious claims for the English throne over in France, gotta love that she'll claim a kingdom that she's never even stepped foot on, just like she's the queen of a country she fled when she was a child. Yeah, you were the (laughs) queen of France, and then you're like, I'll go to Scotland. And then you're like, "Mm, Scotland's boring, I want England. Like, (laughs) girl, pick one and just land. There's another potential heir running around a little closer to home. This is Lady Catherine Grey. Sister to the Nine Days Queen, Lady Jane Grey. Wait, she had a sister? She has two sisters. Whoa. (laughs) So Catherine was another woman of royal blood that had been... That had the added benefit of not being illegitimate. Oh my fucking God. Get (laughs) over it. (laughs) She was the granddaughter of Mary Tudor, the other one, and Charles Brandon. Mary Tudor had been Henry VIII's sister and Henry VII's daughter. Like her older sister, Jane... Catherine was mostly just a pawn and someone that the more fanatical Protestant faction clung on to as a potential heir for Elizabeth. You all got my sister killed. Fuck off. Basically. (laughs) At one point, Spain even sought to use her to potentially overthrow Elizabeth and even schemed to try and have her marry off to uh, Don Carlos of Spain. Oh, was he the crazy one? Yeah. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, we don't want that. Nobody wants that. She's like, um, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Um, And the intent would that once she was made queen they would reestablish catholicism in england oh come on get over it elizabeth famously hated the gray family likely because catherine's father had been responsible for trying to usurp elizabeth's place in the line of succession in favor of his daughters yeah he was later executed for his hubris by mary tudor and poor jane gray got the executioner's axe for being the daughter of an overly ambitious man yeah in the end, it wasn't her poor family relations or Spain's intention to use her to prop her up as a Catholic queen that did Catherine Gray in. Oh, no. It was love. Oh, shit. <laughs> Catherine ended up marrying the Earl of Hetford secretly without Elizabeth's permission. And as we know, anyone with royal blood has to get permission from the monarch to marry. It's kind of a thing. Very aggressive. And then she found herself pregnant. Oh, no. <laughs> So to make a long story short, Catherine lands herself in hot water and appealed to Robert Dudley, of all people, while eight months pregnant, begging him to intercede on her behalf with Elizabeth. Robert ends up snitching on her the next day, and Elizabeth imprisons her in the Tower of London. Oh, no. If Catherine was able to have a son, it might spur England on to champion her in Elizabeth's place as a more fertile successor. Stop it. Catherine does go on to have two more sons while in captivity, and then she dies of tuberculosis a few years later. Her husband is also... They get marital visits? So what ends up happening... Conjugal visits? What ends up happening is the guards felt very sympathetic, and yeah, they um, would let them meet in secret. Literally, oh, she conjugal (laughs) visits now. Jesus. Elizabeth is like, can you guys not? Like, literally stop it. (laughs) Um... So, yeah, a couple of people were also named in the suspicion of this larger conspiracy. Catherine's husband was one of them. Interestingly enough, another one was Bess Hardwick. Oh! Yeah. We'll, we'll hear more about Bess a little later. The threat of Catherine Grey was nothing compared to the larger threat that loomed over Elizabeth after it was announced that King Francis II of France had died and his young bride had been booted from France by the formidable Catherine de' Medici. How many times can you say France in one sentence? Francis of France. We're done with Francis of France. I promise. Sorry, Francis. 
Mary Queen of Scots was finally home in Scotland, and worse yet, she was single. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give you a little note on Alison Weir before I continue. Um, she loves Elizabeth. It is so very clear in this book that I'm reading. <laughs> Elizabeth is very much given the nuanced depiction that she deserves. But when she writes of Mary Stuart and Catherine de' Medici, she very much buys into the one-note depictions of Mary as the witless tart and Catherine as the evil queen mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're told that Elizabeth was an especially vain person, and when it came and when it became known on the European stage that another queen such as herself was suddenly on the market, Elizabeth grew concerned that she would be upstaged by the younger and more beautiful queen. Oh, no. Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. <laughs> there may have been something to her jealousy. Elizabeth spent the bulk of her life wearing the stamp of illegitimacy. Her station in life and position in the court was ever in flux, depending on the whims of her father, brother, and even her sister. Mary Stuart, by comparison, was Queen of Scots at the age of six days old and anointed <laughs> as a queen before the world on her first birthday. To add insult to injury, Mary was said to be incredibly beautiful by all her contemporaries, and she could charm the pants off of just about anyone she met. And now she was newly a bachelorette whose hand in marriage was just as much of a prize on the European stage as Elizabeth's would have been. And therein lie the problem. Mary was a Catholic queen that now ruled a country that bordered England. If Mary pursued a union with Spain, France, or any other Catholic-leaning country, she would strengthen her ambitions for the English throne and potentially provide Scotland as a springboard for a Catholic invasion in England. But Elizabeth was also very curious about her cousin, Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> a female sovereign was still a novel idea in Europe. The two women were of an age and cousins a couple of times removed, um, but they'll always refer to each other as cousin. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth wanted to know what her counterpart was like. And it did not help that her privy council was still obnoxiously pressuring her to name a silly heir already. <laughs> She's like, look. <laughs> and so a new courtship of a sorts begins. But this time it was between Queen Elizabeth of England and Mary Queen of Scots. Yes. Once Mary had established herself in Scotland, the two began to dispatch their own ambassadors to one another to hash out the details of potentially meeting face to face and discussing the possibility of naming Mary as Elizabeth's heir. They even exchanged portraits and wrote letters to one another, most of which still exist to this day and can still be read. Elizabeth is on record as having acknowledged that after her, Mary had the strongest claim to the English throne. But as we already know, she was hesitant to ever officially name an heir out loud. Elizabeth knew all too well from experience that the moment you were named as the heir of a sitting monarch, people with their own political machinations and religious motivations could prop you up as the figurehead of their rebellion, whether you were involved or not. She saw it happen with her sister Mary Tudor during their brother's reign, and she experienced it herself during Wyatt's rebellion. She nearly lost her head because of it. Yeah. Mary Stuart was even more dangerous. She was already an anointed queen with the power to call upon her own army to invade England. So Elizabeth had to be very careful. For a time, it seemed like the two women were softening towards one another. Mary Stuart was said to be equally anxious and excited to meet Elizabeth. 
During her first couple of years ruling Scotland, she deliberately chose a more moderate approach to the issue of religion in Scotland, in part to appease Elizabeth. Even though Mary was a practicing Catholic herself, she vowed to leave Scotland Protestant and not attempt to reestablish Catholicism as the official religion. So it got to the point where the two queens were mere months, um, if not weeks, away from like actually arranging a meeting where they could meet face to face. Uh, yeah, and the designated city was the city of York because it was right in northern England. Huh. But then events occurred over in France that would change <laughs> everything. Oh, no. So France was currently on the verge of its own religious-motivated civil war. Catherine de Medici had done her best to champion moderatism when it came to Catholicism and the rising influence of Protestantism in her country. She had even managed to secure a peace between the two factions with the Edict of Saint Germain. Unfortunately, <laughs> the fanatical Catholic faction of France had other ideas, and that faction happened to be led by Mary Stuart's uncle, Francois of Guise. Mere months. The fucking Guise. Yes, they are <laughs> always around. They're everywhere. <laughs> Mere months after having secured a peace, Francois of Guise happened to be riding through the town of Wasi when he heard people singing church hymns in a barn on a Sunday. Oh, I remember this. How and he snapped dare you? and he went on a murderous rampage, killing 74 Protestants, including women and children. Rachel, it's not murder if you're doing it for the Lord. No, that's still murder. No, that's definitely that's still murder. Definitely still murder. <laughs> When news reached England, Elizabeth and her counselors were horrified and outraged. Yeah. There was no way her people would support naming the Catholic queen and kinswoman of the violent and fanatical Guise faction as her heir now, and so the meeting was postponed. The intention had been for just one more year, but as we already know, the two will never meet face to face. For the time being, the situation with Mary, Queen of Scots, would be put on hold. Elizabeth was still in the prime of her life and every bit the eligible bachelorette, teasing courtiers that came to visit and pledge one prince or another for her hand. As France descended into the first of its French wars of religion, Elizabeth saw an opportunity to reclaim the city of Calais by pledging aid to Huguenot forces in exchange for the city that they had lost in Mary Tudor's reign once they came to power. She still had Dudley at her side as well, her ever-faithful companion, who she elevated to the title of the Earl of Leicester and named as a member to her Privy Council. She was truly at the top of the world, seemingly invincible. And then a new epidemic began to spread around England, and this one claimed both highborn and commoner alike. This was smallpox. Didn't she get it? By the fall of 1562, <laughs> smallpox had been rampaging across England for about two years. And in October of 1562, England's brilliant and vibrant queen found herself a little under the weather. And then suddenly, she was so sick that she fell unconscious for several days. Whoa! Elizabeth was said to have lingered on the edge of life and death for six days, coming so close that her privy council whipped themselves into an anxious frenzy over the fact that Elizabeth had never named a successor, and now the country was teetering on, teetering on the edge of chaos. Don't worry about the fact that your queen is <laughs> under the weather and dying. Like, it's fine. <laughs> Protestant extremists championed Catherine Grey, while the religious moderates of the country put forth the name of some unimportant earl that I'm not going to bother to name because he never comes back. Catherine is <laughs> like, no, please, no, no. <laughs> and no one ever bothered to even entertain the idea of naming Mary Queen of Scots herself. <laughs> 
that that made her mad. Allegedly, the doctor that had been overseeing Elizabeth's recovery was ordered at knife point to try alternative medical techniques to help bring her back. And he was said to have employed the Arab tactic of wrapping Elizabeth in flannel and setting her before a fire, essentially to sweat it out. I thought you were going to say it's setting it on fire. I'm like, that is alternative for sure. Problematic at best. (laughs) Fortunately, side of fire, beside. Fortunately for everyone involved, Elizabeth survived. Yeah, because he didn't set the blanket on fire. <laughs> but both she and England had been scarred. Yeah. For Elizabeth, it is said that the pox had scarred her face. And from here on out, this is when she started donning the lead-infused white paint to cover her pox scars. Yep. <sighs> her privy council had also been scared witless at the prospect of their queen dying without having established an heir to succeed her. She's like, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. We fear a faction of heretics in your realm, contentious and malicious papists. From the conquest to present day, the realm has never left as now it is without a certain heir. If your highness could conceive or imagine the comfort, surety, and delight that should happen to yourself by beholding an imp of your own, it would sufficiently satisfy to remove all matter of impediments and scruples. She's like, fine, let me marry Dudley. (laughs) In other words, the Privy Council was over her shit. (laughs) Elizabeth had had her fun, but it was now over. Baby as an imp. Okay, I just I thought I heard that wrong, but apparently I am not wrong. (laughs) They were done with her vanity and her shenanigans. Women could not rule alone. It was time to get herself a husband and a child. And yet, motherfuckers, here I am, years in. (laughs) Elizabeth is twenty nine years old. How many years is she? She's in, like, five or six years of her reign. She's like, look, I'm doing great. Except for the pox. Smallpox didn't even kill me. I'm invincible. (laughs) And this is where we will end part two of Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a picture of Elizabeth. Look at how beautiful she is. Her coronation, I know. So this She's is like pretty pale at her coronation. Imagine, she need to paint. <laughs> imagine how like heavy that cloth of gold is, plus like the I love ermine how tiny fur. They make her look too. No. It's like, ugh. Yeah, that's still a thing back then. <laughs> this is William Cecil. Hello, hello, good sir. <laughs> this is Robert Dudley. <laughs> hello, that's our boy. Oh, look at his little dog in the picture. He's like, He's hi, dog. <laughs> That's is all. there are there, there treats in this helmet here? That's all I have for pictures. Sorry, I know you showed me a picture of a human, and I was like, dog. But yeah, so oh, that's yeah. Queen Elizabeth Part Two. Fuck yeah! Very interesting how she's just kind of like playing everybody everywhere. Yeah, she's better at this than everyone <laughs> in the room. We're only like one sixth into her reign. Good lord! <laughs> but um, yeah, she reigned for like sixty years, right? 50, like fifty years. Yeah. Yeah. We all knew that was coming. I'm going to cover, like, the next 20 years in the next episode. But, yeah, it was just like, oh, my God. All right. A lot of it's just people being like, hey, you need to marry. And she's like, okay. sure. Later. I'll marry Robert, maybe. But, oh, look, here's the Princess Sweden. Oh, look, Catherine de' Medici is coming at me with one of her many sons. (laughs) Yeah. Goodness. Yep. All right. Random question time? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so our random question for this episode kind of fits. Yeah. 
Um, if no, it doesn't seen, kind of fit. It does fit. Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, the question is essentially, if you were to serve on the small council of Elizabeth's government, um, which position would you pick? So our options here are, it would like be Hand of the King slash Secretary of State, which is what William Cecil is. Master of Horse, if you want to be her lover boy, Robert Dudley. Um, <laughs> Master of Coin in charge of the treasury master of laws in charge of the laws absolutely boring <laughs> um master of ships if you want to be in charge of the navy master of whispers if you want to be in charge of intelligence um another council position well i think we'll see in house of the dragon is the um head of the magi Ooh. they are the pyromancers that deal with the wildfire and then they also have Grand Meister. So just, I don't know, you're like historian slash doctor. <laughs> you're like the druid of the time. The scholar more. It's druids were scholars. Okay, but the Meisters don't like magic. There's a conspiracy where they may be trying to end the Targaryen line. Ew. Okay. Yeah. More the okay. scholarly work, but yeah. Right, which, which position would you like? So... <laughs> When you originally asked me this question, I immediately went to um, two of them. Um, I originally thought uh, Hand of the King slash Queen. Yeah. But then I was like, that sounds like a lot Oh, of you could also do, um, sorry, the Queen's Guard, oh. Lord Commander, Commanderess. Oh, no. So, yeah, throwing that out. So I originally wanted to do Hand of the Queen, but then I was like, mm, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of juggling. And I'm like, I, I would be too, very, too vocal. <laughs> when it came to that. You'd be Otto Hightower mm -hmm. against yeah, yeah. Viserys and just yeah, talk yeah. over him and everyone <laughs> yeah. would hate you. They'd be like, do you want to be queen? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> well, you can't. Um, but then my second would be Master of Whispers because I love getting all the information. And yeah. Using it. But then I'd also... What was... <sighs> there was another one that I wanted. I think the commander like the, of the King's Guard would be fun too. Lord, you would be really good at that. You'd be very formidable. That would be fun. Yeah. I'd probably do like a combination of Master of Whispers and the commander. Yeah. Like, I got these guys. Don't, don't worry. You don't even need two people. It's just me. <laughs> I would also choose Mistress of Whispers. Um, I was thinking about it and I'm very good at like observing people off to the side. Yeah, I don't I watch necessarily. People all the time. Yeah. I call it character. I don't necessarily speak up about what I see, but I do like sitting off to the side and just observing people and taking in information. I also think it would be cool to have like an official sorceress position. Yeah. In um in Wheel of Time, each of the kingdoms has their own Aes Sedai mm -hmm. um issued to the court. Yeah. Which in part they do to like manipulate the kingdoms. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a courtly wizard. I think I would or a courtly sorceress. I think that's the position I would want. Hell yeah. I think it'd also be cool to be kind of like the um, the court healer. Yeah. So think of... What's her name from Outlander? Why can't I think of her name? It's been so long since I've seen it. Claire. Oh, it's like the main chick? Yeah, like yeah. how she's a healer. I think it would be cool, but it would be dangerous too. Because a lot of people yeah. would be like, ah, oh, you're a witch. And then they would try to burn you. Yeah, and that's I a problem. Am, fuck off because I'm healing you. You're welcome. <laughs> Great. Like, <laughs> I'm a good witch, okay? I'm, I'm like Glenda. <laughs> I'm not that good. 
Yeah. Oh. So, um, listeners out there, we would love to know if you served on the small council, what position would you like to take? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That would be so much fun to serve on her council, too. Yes. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Be like, here's a slipper. You can throw it at them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let us know. You can reach us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We are also on the Facebook and the Instagram at Difficult Damsels Podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and as always, stay difficult. Stay difficult. Thank you. Come again. Woo! Part three. Later. Yeah. <laughs>